Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix, where each month we focus on IT innovations that are moving federal agencies forward. Here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the IT Innovation Insider. My guests today are Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal, also at Nutanix. Greg, Dan, welcome to the discussion. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for let having me, us. Let me set some context for our discussion today. The coronavirus pandemic let the telework genie out of the bottle. Sure, federal employees and contractors worked remotely before this national emergency, but the surge of teleworkers put a strain on agency technology infrastructure like never before. Agencies quickly realized that modern, flexible IT was the difference between getting employees up and running in days versus weeks versus months. And as the pandemic continues and other challenges emerge, agencies will need to be ready and equipped for a broad-scale work-from-anywhere approach. Over the last several months, working from home revealed some interesting things. Federal employees can work from anywhere and remain productive and even happy. At the same time, remote working expanded the cyber threat surface agencies face. It's clear from the pandemic, agencies are reshaping the way they work and maintaining continuity of operations and cybersecurity becomes part of that discussion even more broadly. Agencies need to maintain a level of agility and security well beyond the COVID-19 emergency. So how can they do that? Well, that's where my guests come in. Once again, my guests are Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal, also at Nutanix. Let me start with some basics here, gentlemen. Uh, remote working, it's nothing new for Nutanix. I think, Dan, you and I spoke uh, last show about this a little bit, but there are some things that have changed and there are some actually bigger considerations. So Dan, let me start with you about some of those considerations. What are some of those things, maybe even just from a cybersecurity perspective, that agencies and others need to keep in mind as the remote work continues for longer periods? Yeah, when we uh, spoke last or last session, I think was uh, roughly three months ago, and we were, we were focused really on the, the immediate shift to telework from the, the changes around uh, COVID and the lockdowns. And I think at that time, it, we were viewing it more as a, a temporary, rapid, um, really overnight shift to telework that would last maybe a couple months. None of us really knew. I don't think any of us uh, predicted, but it was probably more viewed as a short term. And now I think as it's coming in to the last couple of months and the recent um, trends around some states going back into lockdown, it's, it's viewed as, all right, this is more of a long-term thing we need to sustain. So that shifts to how do we create um, an infrastructure in a IT architecture that's resilient and will be able to operate in this environment, but also secure. Because I think, and honestly, we didn't see this. I think the agencies did a great job of keeping security at the forefront when we worked with a lot of them uh, to make the shift to telework. But I think now it's if there were waivers put in place, if there were maybe some exceptions made to, to handle this temporary environment now that they're going back and reviewing them and saying, all right, this is more of a long-term, uh, we can't allow this exception to, to stay. There's actually a, a mechanism for that in the federal government security called a POAM. So you get a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day window. So now customers that may have had a temporary waiver going back and saying, all right, we need to make sure we have the security in place and in really the entire IT environment in place to sustain this setup because it's going to last a little longer than maybe any of us predicted. You bring up an interesting point about the sustainment piece. And I think that comes from two perspectives. There's a security angle, of course, which is this idea 
of insurance security. And you said, you know, if there were some things that maybe agencies only did halfway, they really need to go the full way on. But the other piece of this is, that's where I think Greg can come in, is the change in the technology infrastructure that, that Dan mentioned. Greg, what are you seeing as you talk to customers? What, what are the considerations for the longer term infrastructure beyond just security? So <clears throat> there is clearly an emphasis on maintaining cloud optionality uh, as part of what we see across certainly the, the government agencies and, and no single point of failure. Um, what, what we've learned is that COVID has left many agencies unsure whether their business continuity strategy is sufficiently robust. Agencies need to be confident in their infrastructure and their cloud strategies to make sure that they're stress testing and even sharing these results to build confidence with their internal customers. Um, so this is generating some hard questions like, is the public cloud model really scalable and resilient under conditions like this? And are the cloud providers maintaining the excess capacity at the scale needed right now? Um, so supporting the infrastructure services robust enough to ensure continued access to these cloud platforms is paramount. I like that term, cloud optionality. I think that's a new one I haven't heard from more. But basically what you're getting to here is this idea of what options do you have in the cloud? And that's the whole discussion about hybrid cloud, multi-cloud. Do I have that right as, as your yeah. definition? And how portable, how, how portable are your applications and services to move the, that data and those services across and or between cloud platforms? Again, back to this, this idea of not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's a very simple philosophy that uh, as we've seen, that there's, there's some instances out there where we, we have seen remote workers, they're demanding greater capacity from their networks, storage and services. Working remotely is no longer a choice, it's a mandate. So they're expecting more. So we're seeing things like spot pricing shifting to surge pricing and with some of the cloud providers where costs can quickly escalate due to the work from home mandate, right? So one of the main cloud providers is already starting to reach its limits and has shown cracks under the stress. And some of these problems, it turns out, started even prior to the rise of COVID-19. So it's not something that's, that's uh, new under different surge scenarios. So they're already rationing their cloud capacity and prioritizing which apps they're gonna run on their cloud. And, it, and if you think about this, this would mean customers in some instances, mission critical applications could be taking a back seat to support the spike in demand for their own services. So this is placing temporary resource limits and throttling customers in essence, right? In order to meet promised availability quotas for other customers. So imagine if everything you had was in one cloud provider and then they started throttling your organization or your agency for any number of reasons. Those are some real realities that, that come into play when you're evaluating your cloud strategy and whether you're looking at a single approach or a multi-cloud approach. It's interesting you bring up some of those cloud providers are, are already feeling the stress. I think agency networks, I think agencies, VPNs, all that been, has been feeling the stress over the last few few months. And, and actually, it's, it's a good discussion point here about not just the cybersecurity side of it, but the continuity and productivity. I, I think Greg makes a really interesting point when you talk about it's really showed the continuity of business, the continuity strategies. Before, a lot of this was tested on snow days. A lot of this tested on a, maybe a hurricane that, that came in for a few days or maybe a week, but not for this long period of time. Dan, come back to the conversation a little bit. And, and as this 
remote working continues and the threat services change, what are some of those cybersecurity challenges or just more broadly the engineering challenges that agencies have to keep in mind to keep the continuity strategy going and, and, and at full scale? Yeah, and to pick up where Greg was talking about uh, the different services and the different loads across cloud that may impact what you're doing in the public cloud, I think the core of what we're looking at is remembering that public cloud, in, in general, cloud as defined is a multi-tenant environment. So when prior in private data centers, governments used to, agencies are used to being, all right, we're the only tenant in this data center. Our services are owned to run. Uh, we have dedicated gear for them, dedicated people, dedicated ops centers. Whereas as you move to a cloud operating model, not just the location, public or private, but really more of a cloud operating model, you need to design with the concept that, all right, it's multi-tenant and you need to um, think about uh, how you're gonna do service levels to ensure that your services aren't impacted when there is an event like this. And I think the other thing, multi-tenant obviously bubbles to the top is, oh, you're no longer behind the, maybe what's perceived as the safety uh, of your data center walls. You're now out in a more open environment. Now there are a lot of standards like FedRAMP and other security policies in place um, to set that baseline, a very high bar for cloud services. Um, Nutanix is very familiar with going through that. So that in, helps in the agencies know that this, uh, the underlying service meets a, a very high security bar. But I think those are, those are the things that the agencies have to think about in terms of, all right, now I'm designing for multi-tenant environments. So that means service level agreements are very important. Maybe I need to do a reserved instance so I have dedicated horsepower and I know I'm not gonna be impacted by a surge event. Might be a little more expensive, but I don't want my email or my critical database going down. So I'm gonna pay more for that service. But I have some services over here that I don't need to, to have that expensive dedicated instance. And then on the security side, like I mentioned, some agencies may have been going with maybe a service that hadn't been fully FedRAMP authorized, maybe trying out some telework options that uh, just to see as a proof of concept whether that could help them move to this overnight shift to remote work. Now they're circling back and saying, all right, we need to go to the FedRAMP marketplace. Is, has this service been fully authorized? And then at what level, FedRAMP has a lot of nuances. So at what level is it authorized? and does it map to our data sensitivity? So that, that becomes an even larger discussion around the agency getting a hold of where their data is and at, at what level it is, because even at the unclassified level, uh, there's different levels of, of sensitivity for their data. So, so a lot to look at just in terms of your broad architecture strategy. One of the things that you both brought up is this idea of understanding the surge capacity when workloads change, Greg or Dan, I'll just throw it to either of you. Are agency customers saying, well, we thought this was right for the cloud and now with telework, we need to bring it back in house or vice versa. We thought this was going to be fine in our data center, but now we got to push it to the cloud. Are you starting to see some of those decisions being made because they, they weren't just weren't ready because of the, they, they got such a surge in traffic, such a popularity of applications. This is Greg. I'll, I'll start and just comment that it's, it's a broad, array across 
agencies, depending on their level of preparedness, their level of adoption already around public cloud versus private versus hybrid, what, what strategy have they been um, embarking on to date? There are instances where some of these agencies are taking advantage of capabilities to allow them to have that seamless migration, if you will, or ability to move their, the portability, I should say, to allow their software to move across different cloud platforms. This is Dan, just to add a little on the, um, the agility that Greg was talking about, but I also think the elasticity of the public cloud, I mean, this was the prime example, what the coronavirus lockdowns forced agencies to expand overnight. So to use the elasticity of the public cloud environment, and they had to have that agility in place that Greg talked about to be able to shift, because that's not an easy thing. So um, in some agencies, we actually helped do that with our desktop as a service offering. But, but it, the bottom line is, this was what the cloud was designed for. Uh, the agencies took advantage of it. But now as we move to that long-term sustainment, now they go back and evaluate, all right, what is the most cost-effective way to run the service? And they can do that. Uh, they are cost governance tools or you can look at the, the cloud bill itself. And it may turn out that, all right, we need to shift this service back on-prem. This service should belong over here and really start to streamline uh, the budgets. Because I think it, in the beginning, there wasn't as much concern. It was more about we need to be operational now. And, and now as we plan for the next fiscal year and how they're gonna budget this, cost obviously becomes a concern. Um, so they're starting to do those evaluations on, on the cost trade-off. Because if you think about cloud, it's a, it's a constant drip, like your utility meter. So some workloads may actually be better fit in terms of economics in a steady state, private cloud data center. And then when you need to burst again, say there's another lockdown event, all right, we need to burst a couple hundred desktops up into the public cloud. So you can get that more uh, economic and flexible model in place now. All right, that's a good point to take a quick break because I think there's plenty to dig out from there. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. A recent survey revealed that at least 50% of federal agencies are using multiple clouds in their IT environment. Combine that with the legacy infrastructure that most agencies still use, and you can imagine the complexity and the limitations of such an environment. But federal agencies are adopting Nutanix to simplify and manage this complexity. Nutanix software-driven infrastructure and enterprise cloud give IT freedom from complexity, freedom to work with any cloud, to run any application at the scale they need, to use whatever technology stack suits them, and to invent the technology that will move their mission forward. To learn more about how Nutanix is helping organizations simplify their IT environments, visit Nutanix.com freedom. Welcome back. You're listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal, also at Nutanix. Before break, we we're talking about the, the fact we went from this surge of teleworkers to this really long-term view of remote working. And Greg, I want to bring you into this because we, had a, we did a, uh, an interesting survey of our readers at Federal News Network. And one of the things that came up was this idea that a majority of our respondents, and again, I'll admit this was not scientific, this was online only, but the majority of more than 1,500 respondents said they were not ready to come back to the office 
and they were really wanted to see how agencies reopened, whether or not there was a vaccine. There was a lot of hesitation. I think we're seeing the same thing, not just in the government world, but the private sector as well. Absolutely. And you know, Jason, the, the specter of a second wave is very real. I think that's weighing very heavy on, on not only the organizations, but uh, all of us out here, right? So there was a Fortune 500 CEO survey that revealed 27% of their workers expect to fully return to their usual work, their usual workplaces this year. But 26% believe their workers will work from home indefinitely. That's pretty staggering if you think about it. Uh, in addition, 75% believe the crisis is going to force their companies to accelerate their digital transformation. That's the other piece that I think is really interesting because I, I, a couple times during the last couple months, I've talked to Suzette Kent, the federal CIO, or other agency level CIOs, and they've said the same thing, that the pandemic really helped them accelerate the digital modernization. And, and I think one of the things we're seeing is now interest from Congress, from Capitol Hill, from non-IT people about this digital transformation. Are you seeing your discussions with agencies and your customers changing a little bit over the last few months in terms of not can we get there, but how do we go faster or what can we do differently to be more in line with, with digital transformation? And not to be outdone by Greg's stats, so I'm doing some research for our .next, uh, which has gone all digital. Normally we have a big um, in-person conference. This is actually supposed to be this week leading up into the fourth holiday, we've moved it digital into September. So we're doing some research and just to show the shift that the government is making. So it's not just talk. I mean, the, about a couple of years ago, less than half the federal workforce was telework enabled. So they had the option of telework and less than half of that was actually utilizing uh, telework. So, you know, it was really there, like we've discussed for weather events or uh, onesie twosie type things. And now we think about the numbers that's just been flipped completely reverse. Um, so agencies are, are obviously being forced to think about that. And I think the, the great thing, it's really opened up the art of the possible. Um, even we're seeing with our defense agencies that are not typically the telework enabled workforce, you know, what is actually in the realm of possibility. There's an article that just came out recently on even remote access to classified. Now that's still pretty rare, but that just shows you the span of what uh, they're investigating in these times that, all right, we're gonna be shifting to this for the foreseeable future. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work with agencies around um, remote device management, so that comes into the cyber lens. Uh, we've now completely shifted. We're no longer working from desktops inside of a secure office perimeter. We now have users in their home office or accessing from a mobile device. So there's been a big demand in the need for, especially on the defense side, um, enabling like guard states, some of them involved in the COVID response is how do we enable these users that aren't in their office um, to come in and access securely uh, their environments. Um, so doing that from multiple different devices and, and really extending the perimeter of your enterprise security boundary out to the edge um, and being able to manage that, but also ensuring that um, the users have really the, the education. And, you know, as an IT guy, um, like, like to talk about technology, but at the end of the day, it's the people using the technology. 
and we have to educate them and make sure they're enabled so they're not clicking on the bad links. They're not, you know, we, we have the, the security in place, the technology in place, but there's also a lot of education that can help mitigate the risk. Um, so I think as, as we move to a telework that's a little more sustained, that's a big piece of it too, is, is making sure the users um, have, have that enablement and that education to, to understand how to use the technology so they're leveraging it to the best they can and then how to securely do it so they're not being compromised by the increase in phishing attacks and other cybersecurity threats out there. One of the things you bring up, Dan, is when you talk about the threat surface and the, the potential for vulnerabilities is the fact that the multi-cloud environment and cyber actually fit well together much, much better these days than, than when people maybe were at their headquarters or at their offices. And I think that's why in many ways multi-cloud becomes more important to cybersecurity in this, in this age of, of the pandemic. How does it fit together? Explain us a little bit more about why having a multi-cloud approach actually can make agencies more more safe? Yeah, in part of the uh, cyber environment, you well, just in any IT design, resiliency is key. So avoiding single points of failure, and a, a big part of that goes into the security accreditations, um, having backup policies in place, ensuring you can't be compromised by denial of service. So if you elevate that to the cloud level, if you think about you put everything in one cloud, it essentially becomes. So it's not only all right if the cloud goes down, even though that's a rare event. If if it, if all your services are there, it's a very significant event for your agency. You know, if that cloud region, like we have seen that with AWS Ashburn, just you know, power issue or a storm knocks it out, um, you have to be resilient across the different geographic regions, but also across the different clouds. Um, and part of that is the security. Again, it's it's a rare event, but if it happens, it's a very significant event. So if there was a compromise, um, one of your servers, or now we're talking about desktops in the cloud, so user interaction in that same cloud space as maybe your enterprise services. So having the ability to make sure if there's a compromise in one, you can take safely take those services offline to investigate figure out what the cyber attack was and still be operational in another cloud. And I think the other thing, we're seeing a big um, increase in discussions around zero trust, especially as we move end users to telework environments. Um, how do we ensure that any entity coming in has the necessary security precautions, both the device and the user? Um, so that if something does get compromised, it's contained to only their environment and it doesn't compromise the rest of your services. It doesn't spread from one cloud to the other uh, so that you can self-contain it and isolate it to a single event. So Dan, this is Greg. Uh, getting back to your comments about it being a rare event when we see these outages or, or issues, I guess it depends on what the definition of rare is, right? Uh, Thousand Eyes, which is a really cool dashboard out there, it's a internet and cloud traffic checker. They reported on June 22nd, a new record high for cloud provider outages, which spiked 136% worldwide that week of June 22nd. And then in the US alone, over 175% um, over that past week. 
So there's also a Gartner poll. I know I'm throwing out a lot of stats here, but I think it's very relevant. It revealed that 8% of their respondents have had business operations severely restricted by remote work impact. So 8%, I guess that's rare, but it's not that rare, especially when you think about the, the impact that just, just one single outage for just a fraction of a second in some instances can really incur. Greg, I think that's a great point because as uh, both of you and we've talked about during our conversation today is one outage is too many and there's already a stress happening on cloud providers. So will those out outages become more, happen more often? And I think that's a big concern. Uh, gentlemen, we're just about out of time before I let you go. I do want to ask you looking forward a little bit because we've talked a lot about how agencies have gotten to the point where they're at today. But what's going to be important six months from now, nine months from now, Dan, when we talk again, and Greg, when we talk again, what, what are some of those things that you're going to be hearing from your customers? Look forward a little bit. Maybe start with Dan on this one. Yeah, I think it will be exciting uh, looking out into that time in terms of just the, the new amount of uh, end-user mobility, um, the agility, the flexibility that the transition will have given to the end-user. Um, we're talking about off, you know, how many users, about a quarter, according to Fortune 500, just wouldn't be going back to the office. Um, Nutanix ourselves, you know, we're, we're, I think a lot of people are in this mindset, why do it if you don't have to? Obviously not all of the federal government has that flexibility and the, the people go, that have to go into work and work in classified environments, um, they're coming up with their own solutions there. But I think for the ones that do have the option, to give them the flexibility, and we're going to see a lot more um, demand around just the solutions enabling that so that the user can work from anywhere. Um, if their office isn't open, if they don't have to be there, that they're, they're working from home, they're working from their own endpoint device. And yeah, I mentioned it um, at the, in, my, in my last uh, piece there, that I think the zero trust just, I've been doing a lot of research around there. Uh, we're working with a couple different alliance partners, and I think that's just going to continue to grow. It was already becoming a hot topic before COVID, and I think this is just going to accelerate it because that really allows the federal security team to know that they can give the flexibility to the end user if they have that zero trust posture across their entire enterprise IT. So they don't necessarily have to worry, oh, the user's coming in from a Starbucks coffee shop. I know that my perimeter security and then my micro-segmentation, network micro-segmentation in the data center is going to stop and contain any potential threat. Um, so I think that'll be a big piece to enable it in a secure fashion. All right, Greg, you're about 30 seconds or less. Uh, sure. Name so one thing. Absolutely. Delivering a scalable, resilient, and secure work-from-home platform to support personnel on a long-term basis will be key. It's evident that this is here to stay in terms of how we address the work from home requirement. Organizations, as Dan touched on, this new security perimeter, the concept being at the edge all the way out to the home, this is gonna drive that need for more of a multi-cloud strategy and the flexibility to have the choice to move between platforms or what we like to call cloud optionality. All right, very good. I know we could talk a lot longer, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guests, Dan Fallon, the Senior Director of Federal Engineering at Nutanix, and Greg O'Connell, the Senior Director of Federal at Nutanix. Dan, Greg, thank you so much for your time today. You've been listening to the IT Innovation Insider, sponsored by Nutanix on Federal News Network. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search IT Innovation Insider.
Thank you for listening to the IT Innovation Insider, brought to you by Nutanix for Federal News Network, 1500 AM and federalnewsnetwork.com. Today's episode can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword NTNX.